Thanks, Dylan. Good morning. You guys take a seat. If you're at home, stand up, sit down, turn around, do what you got to do. Uh, that's my wife. She can sing pretty good. And she, and, and she hates that I did that. I'm going to hear about that later. Um, good to see you. So that song that has been on the radio and been blasting in our home for the past few months and in the car, uh, that song, The Blessing, the last word, amen, means let it be, let it be, let it be what we said. So, so say it. And so it comes from this passage in Numbers. Uh, Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's uh, Moses kind of going through numbers of people. And there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of there. Uh, it's not as boring as the reputation begins. But it's in, in chapter 6. It says this in, in number 622. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron... And his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say this to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now, according, it's, it's a pretty, I mean, the lyrics weren't original. <laughs> they got it from here. But according to Jewish tradition, it would work like this. You can find this in the Talmud, which is the, the, tradi- the, the tradition of the Jewish people. They would come, and the priests were only the ones that were allowed to give this blessing. It was only by priests that they were allowed to give it. They would give this blessing after every daily offering. So you'd go in the morning, and you'd give your offering to God. It's kind of like your devotions. They'd give the offering, and then the priests would come out and give this blessing to them. Now, a blessing is this. A blessing is giving you a purpose for the day. I'm blessing you. It's not automatically that you get to have something. It's giving you a direction. This is where you're going. This is your charge for the day. And the priest would come out of the temple, and everyone would line up at the, t- at the bottom of the steps, and the priest would lift their both hands like this, as if he's giving you this giant big present, right? This big box. And he lifted, and the, re- the reason he does this is it's, it's in the shape of a Hebrew letter called sheen. You want to say it? I know you do. Sheen. Okay, I can't see who's saying it not because you have these things over your mouth. I'm just going to, yeah. It's, it's also the sign for touchdown, which is something the Seahawks didn't get yesterday. Oh. Sick burn, right? Okay, my team didn't play, so what's it matter? Uh, so they would hold their hands up like this. And it, it, it looks like a W, but it's the first letter in one of God's names. Ever heard of the name of God called El Shaddai? Amy Grant did a great song about this a long time ago for anyone who's over the age of 30. Dylan, look up Amy Grant one day. <laughs> You'll love it. El Shaddai. This is the first letter. That's what Sheen looks like. It, we can call it a W. It's not, okay? Looks like a W. El Shaddai, it means this, God Almighty. God, the one who is all-sufficient. And so the priest lifts their hands up like this in the shape of this letter. And then what he's trying to do or what he's being told to do is fulfill the commandment in, in verse 27 that says this. So they will put my name on the Israelites. So with doing this, he's saying, I'm giving you my name to go out and finish your day, to be agents of what God does. Okay? So, in the morning, you get up, you get your blessing. In the name of God, go. Beyond your day, you have a mission today. This is what they did every morning. This is the blessing. So, in Luke's gospel, watch this. Luke tells the story of when Jesus ascended into heaven towards the end of his gospels. In chapter 24, look what Jesus does. 
When Jesus had led them to the vicinity of Bethany, sounds like a cool name for a church, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now what's Jesus doing there? Lifting up his hands. He's giving them a charge. Luke is saying, and the writer of Hebrews will go on and say more of this, that Jesus is fulfilling the priestly role. He is the high priest. And he's saying, go in the name of God, go, become my agents. This is your role in this world. These blessings or benedictions were were words of assurance or guidelines designed to bring comfort and joy to the people, to bring security to them that God is with them no matter where they go, no matter what they do. And if they have these problems, which they will, God is also a God who intervenes on their behalf. And whenever God intervenes, he does so in the name and the purpose to bring peace. It's a great verse to memorize. And if you need to memorize it, just learn the song and you have it memorized. But it gives you what you're supposed to be doing. It gives you a calling and it gives you a vision. It's a way of sending yourself out to fulfill your role as God's people. Today we begin this series, it's very timely, called Shalom, which is another, which is the word in the Bible that means peace. It's in the last phrase of this, that he may give you peace. And you, wouldn't you think this is the most timely time to talk about peace, right? Because it's not something that our world is full of right now. But what does this peace mean? We have a lot of definitions about what peace might look like. You think something's peaceful. I think that sounds like torture. You think hiking is peaceful. It's not, Liz. It's tiring, Steve. Camping is not peaceful. Peaceful, lying on the sand with the ocean, and someone brings me a liquid beverage. That's peaceful. That's fun. But we have this idea of peace that differs from every person. What you think is peaceful is not what someone else thinks is peaceful. We think that what happened this last week, these last seven months, is, is terrible, and it is. Someone who lives in another country, that's just another Tuesday. So we have this definition of what peace might bring. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's more than not having what's happened this past summer, what happened this past Tuesday or Wednesday, what's happened these past years, these past decades. The peace that God brings is bigger than all of that. Our definition of peace is way too small. God's idea of peace is found in this word shalom that appears around 551 times, but who's counting? And it comes in five different forms throughout the scripture. I think that's back behind me. There's a slide with what shalom looks like. You might have seen it. It's one of those popular, maybe not. It's one of the, uh, there it is. That says shalom, Hebrew 101. Read that way. No, that's El Shaddai, Dave. That's not shalom. Anyways, You got nothing. Shalom. It's one of the popular words that we hear from Hebrew. Shalom. You hear it all the time. It means peace, but not just peace. Shalom, 225 times, means peace, but it adds this, wholeness. 
peace and wholeness. It also comes in the, in the phrase shalem, which means to make right or restore. It's shilem, which means to offer peace offering, to make peace between someone you have a broken relationship with. It says shalom, which is another way. It's used 27 times this way. It means loyal or devoted. In the New Testament, the Greek word that they transliterated for shalom is, is it's irene, which means peace, and it's used 94 times. It's used as a greeting. It's used to wish someone well. It's used as, as you exit the room, kind of like aloha, right? Aloha is hello and goodbye. It means safe travels. It means God be with you. In Deuteronomy 2 and Isaiah 33, it's used for this idea of absence of conflict. In Jeremiah 6 and Zechariah 9, it's used as a prophecy for the vulnerable, that, they might, that there might be condemnation for those people who are unjust. In the New Testament, in the Greek form, irene, it's used 94 times. It means restoration of relationship, wholeness, healing, peace. Shalom means well-being, the perfection of God's creation. It can mean abundance, and most of all, peace. It's way more than our idea of peaceful, wouldn't you say? It's an all-encompassing word. Our idea of peace, compared to what shalom offers, is still a bit chaotic. Our idea of peace is more of like a ceasefire that hangs from a thread, there are a lot of ideas of what shalom might look like, just like there are a lot of pe- the ideas of what peace might look like. But when you hold them in comparison to what God's idea of peace is, it pales because it's just a little bit. Our idea of peace is too small. Our idea of peace is different. And none of our ideas of peace fully capture what God is wanting to do when he wants to bring peace to us. Now, in order to get to the bottom of what shalom means, because it's not just an easy word, it's huge, it has deep meaning, we need, to, we need to discover that we have a part in it and we need to figure out where it comes from. So we need to go way back and we need to go way deep and we hope we still make sense at all. You guys ready to be, get nerdy with this? Isn't that a will? Oh, get jiggy with me, get nerdy with me. Here we go. Both shalom and absence of shalom are displayed way back in the beginning of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, click back to Genesis 1. The word shalom is never used here. But this, what is described in Genesis 1 is actually the picture of what shalom should be. It's shalom on full display. Okay, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Uh, if you guys are wondering, this is new because the stand that we had kept shrinking Remember that thing? It would kept going down halfway through, the th- and I'd be like this. And so I was like, oh, let's get a table. And so here we go. We're fancy now. I need a beverage. Okay. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. This is what shalom looks like. Okay, we're going to go deep here real quick, and hopefully we'll come out of it alive. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. There's three words I want us to look, like, look at here. Formless, empty, and dark. Tohu, bohu, and chesek. 
is what we want to look at today. Tohu, bohu are the first two words there. They mean formless and empty. It could also mean confusingness, confusedness. Wow, I can't talk. It also means confusion and nothingness and a wasteland, a place of chaos. Someone said it was cold in here, so I turned the heater on, and now we have waterworks up here. Now, the Genesis creation story is not unique, okay? In fact, the writer of Genesis was probably writing at a time, we talked about last week when they were coming back from exile, and the creation story about God creating has always been told, but he writes it down. Most likely it might have been Ezra. He's writing down what the creation story is that's been passed along from generation to generation. And he writes down the creation narrative, but he uses stories that people are used to in order to get the, the message of cross. It doesn't lessen the veracity of Genesis 1. We do this all the time. It's contextualizing. It's putting it in a form that everyone can understand. Paul does it a lot. Paul takes Greek hymns and takes their phrases and puts God onto it. And now we have the book of Philippians, which is a lot of Roman war training. And so the writer of Genesis 1 is taking the creation narrative and putting it into a genre that people would be familiar with it. Okay? So he's copying something from the Babylonian creation narratives, the Enuma Elish. It's not word for word, but he's using that template to get across what's happening. In, that, in the Babylonian uh, creation narrative, it was a bloodbath. What was happening out of waters, out of the waters in Babylon of this creation narrative came everything that was evil. Demons uh, were birthed. Various gods came out of it. Violence, death, chaos. In these waters, everything came out of it. And then humans, at the end of it, were slaves to, their, to those gods. There is, in these creation narratives, a fundamental view of chaos. This was the state of everything. The next adjective that's used, so you have tohu and bohu, which gives this idea of chaos. The next adjective that's used is kosek, which means darkness, literally darkness. It, it, the figuratively, as it's used here, it means misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, and the list can go on. The priest painted this picture when he's writing this of absolute agony. And so they were providing this sort of commentary about the state of the world without God's presence. The state of the world when God is absent. It's dark. It's chaotic. Have you ever been in absolute pitch blackness? Yeah? It's totally disorienting, right? Uh, I was in Mozambique with my dad, like early 2000s, and we went, we stayed outside of the city. It was completely black. We stayed at a Wycliffe uh, uh, training center. And when you walked outside, it was black everywhere, complete darkness. There was no moon, there was cloudy. The city lights weren't bright enough to give any kind of reflection. And you walk out and you can barely see anything in front of you. Chaos, disorientation. I have no idea which way is which way. And then they give you this warning when you first stay there. Uh, don't wander too far. There's these things called black mambas. And I was like, oh, Kobe. Not Kobe Bryant. And uh, that was his nickname. No? 
okay. Uh, and they said, if these things bite you, there's nothing we can do. You're going to die within like 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, great. And the bathroom's across the field where the black mamba lives. Awesome. This was the idea. Panic, chaos, total lostness. You walk outside in Mozambique and you can't see a thing. This is what the author of Genesis 1 is giving here. It was chaotic. It was dark. It stirred up anxiety. And yet this is the place where God breaks in. We see this in our world all around. We see chaos. We see darkness. We see confusion. Have you ever wondered, why is this happening? Why is the healthy young person dying? Why did, that stirs up panic. The fear of not achieving enough. The fear of, of not having enough. The absence of contentment. The constant search for meaning and purpose and identity leads us to chase every single religion or philosophy or fun Twitter feed we can find. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks about this. He calls it life under the sun. And he calls it absolutely meaningless. Without the presence of God, your life is meaningless, chaotic, fear, full of anxiety. Tohu, bohu, chosetic, lost. This is our world. Think of the headlines for the last nine months. George Floyd. Think of the other headlines. 40 million babies aborted. Think of the other headlines, a constant devaluing of the family. The Capitol Hill incident this past week, imprisonments in China, human trafficking on Aurora Avenue. It's also 9-11. It's concentration camps in World War II. It's the Civil War. It's slavery. This isn't a new event that we're coming up against in these last weeks. This has been happening for some time. It's the absence of God. It's chaotic. Our world is chaotic and in search of peace. It's also our lives. Addictions, broken relationships, families dissolving, sickness, death, despair. We want to blame God for all of it. We want to say, where is God in this? Is God even there? We talk to my friend at the gym and we'll say, is God good? And he goes, oh, he might be if he's there at all. This idea that this chaos is the absence of God. And what it shows us is that the world without God is absolutely terrifying. One author points it out this way. The fundamental problem is the absence of God's shalom. It's the absence of God's peace. Apart from God, the world is not neutral. It's emphatically negative. It's desolate. And it's a waste. Which becomes the source of every fear which becomes the source of all greed, which leads to isolation. Isolation leads to anxiety. This is the world we live in. This is the world that's described in Genesis 1. Happy study, right? It's depressing. Your life without God, the world without God is chaotic. We don't realize it because we might be used to it. This is where God steps in. This is where the similarities stop between what happens in Genesis 1 and what happens in the Babylonian uh, creation narratives. The writer in Genesis, when he uses the word God, uses the word Elohim, which is the creator, it means this, 
creator, sustainer, judge of the world. It means the all-powerful. And if you notice something in the Genesis narrative, Elohim does not come from the waters. Remember what it says. It doesn't come from inside. What's, what's the author say? Now the world was formless and empty and darkness. There's our three words. That was over the surface of the deep. And where is God here? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now prepositions matter. I didn't know prepositions mattered in high school or I would have memorized all of them. Prepositions matter here. Where is God in all of this? Over it all. Now, there's this hierarchy thing. Yeah, your gods are down here. Watch what our gods do. Our gods up here. Over it. There's a dominance happening here. The word that, that is used here for God's spirit was moving over the waters is the Hebrew word rakaf. You have to clear your throat for it. Rakaf. And the picture of that word is the idea of a bird or a hen brooding down on the nest. Like the, we, hear, we heard it in the spring, there was a robin's nest in one of our trees. And it would come in and then the, the birds all go crazy and panic and panic. And then the robin sits down and with her wings, she comforts and settles the chaos. This is the picture that you get. In fact, they, uh, this is a freebie. They, they often think that this, the picture that the, they got in the Talmud was of this dove or, or a pigeon. That is this tough, gnarly bird that survives a lot of things that calms the waters down and relaxes them. The spirit is moving to confront the misery and the destruction and then the wickedness that tohu, bohu, and chesedek bring. It broods over all of them in order to do some kind of battle against darkness. Their creation story, as you probably read it and as I used to read it, was this beautiful story of poetry and it is good and lovely. There's a dark side to it. It's a story of warfare. It's a story of ba a God doing battle against the brokenness of the state of the world. Genesis 1 is a war story. We're looking at it. God comes and calms the brokenness, puts his wings out, and the spirit of the Lord, the Ruach of the Lord, brings peace to the chaos. And then God does this. God speaks. This is his strategy, his war strategy. He says, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light and said it was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. With two words, God created light. With two words, he gave clarity. With two words, he spoke goodness into the cesspool of despair. God speaks goodness into the chaos, and that goodness he speaks is shalom. He does this all throughout Scripture. In Scripture, you see this. You see darkness turn into light. You see despair turn into light. You see turn into life. You see chaos turn into hope. You see void turn into beauty. And all of it, at the very end, he uses the word tov, which means good. Not just good. Very good. The opposite of chaos. Light. Life. Hope and beauty, shalom, 
It's the ongoing story of the Bible. It's repeated over and over again. The God who intervenes, the God who comes into the chaos. In Genesis 6, it happens again. There's pure evil. What's God do? He intervenes. He steps in. In Exodus 3, his people are in Egypt. They're crying out in agony. And what's God say? I see I hear and I'm responding to them. I'm coming to them. I'm intervening. In Judges, it starts in Judges. Every person did what was right in their own eyes. And we all know how that ends. Chaos. And what's God do? He steps in and brings the judges to set things right. In John's Gospel in the New Testament, the Word became flesh. It's retelling the Genesis narrative and saying that Jesus is descending into this world in order to bring us peace. And all throughout the book of John, you see it happen. There's a woman at the well trying to find identity in marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. And God, Jesus brings her peace and says, you're thirsty. Why don't you come to the right water and so you're not thirsty anymore? There's a woman caught in adultery looking for forgiveness Jesus brings her forgiveness. There's a man born blind looking for restoration. Jesus intervenes. There's the lepers who never thought they would be healed again. Jesus heals them. There's Jairus' daughter who was dead. And God intervenes. There's 5,000 hungry people there one day. God intervenes. Peter restored after he had denied Jesus almost to his face. He's restored. God intervenes. There's the gift of the Holy Spirit. God intervenes. God is a God who intervenes into our chaos because we have all wandered into chaotic versions of life. This is the story of every person in this world. And if you're a Christ follower, you've seen this. Your life has been chaos. We've all gone through some kind of tohu bohu. We've all gone through some darkness. And then we turn to Christ who intervenes in order that we might come to know peace. Carrie and I had about two years of it. Despair, loneliness, confusion. Couldn't find a job, couldn't find a role in life. I was lost, I was sick, I was depressed. God intervenes. Intervenes through people, intervenes through relationships. For others, You've experienced divorce, you've experienced abuse, you've experienced addiction that is all-consuming for you and you can't shake it. You've realized that your hopes and dreams that you've had are empty. It happens to all of us. And when that happens to us, we find ourselves in a place of chaos. But that place of chaos is the perfect ground for God to intervene. In Matthew 5, Jesus is giving the the famous Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are, fill in the blank, and he goes on forever. It's a beautiful sermon. That word blessed shows up, right? The same word that comes in, uh, in, in numbers, blessed. And what's he saying? All of these lists of people that he lists, the poor in spirit, the meek, the broken, the persecuted, the peacemakers, all of those people are in some sort of desolation at that time. And what's Jesus say? You're blessed. I'm blessed? I feel like I'm in chaos. Yeah. And in the middle of that chaos, the word blessed means this. God is right at your side. God's intervening on your behalf. You're blessed. 
when you find yourself at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you find yourself buried in despair. Why? Because that's the time God's going like this. We got some work to do. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to intervene here. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll never experience pain. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a lot of money. Blessed doesn't always doesn't mean that. Some people have taken it that far, and they've made it into a prosperity version. That's not what blessed means. Blessed in this piece is not the absence of conflict. No, you're going to have conflict. Jesus warns everybody of that. You're going to run into some things. You're going to go through some crap. I can say that here, can't I? You're going to go through it. If you're going to follow Jesus, what's he say to you? Take up your cross, follow me. Where did he go? He died on a cross. You're going to follow him. This is what you're going to go through. But in the middle of all of that, here's the promise. You'll have peace. A peace that transcends all understanding. This is the nature of the peace that we have. Now, this is what we are called to experience. Peace in the face of all of this. Not just an absence of conflict, but a deep wholeness of peace where we know that even though we're broken, God will put us back together and he will never leave us or abandon us. We can experience this. We can also represent it. Look at this, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, this is our role as humankind. Remember, these first two chapters of Genesis is what God intended it to be. He says this, then the Lord said, let us make humankind in our own image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures, so all the creatures that move along the ground, So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What's those those verses say about you? You are an image bearer of God. God said, let us make man. Elohim is the plural form of God. Father, Son, Spirit, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Let us make humankind just like us, with our role, with our power. God's intention is this. He wants creation to see humans walking through and see a representation, a representation, represent God to the broken world. That's our role. God brings peace whenever he intervenes. We have God's image on our heart. What's our role? Bring peace into a situation that you walk into. Our dignity comes from us having the image of God on us, on our hearts. Our dignity and our calling come from this. Now you contrast this to the Babylonian uh, way of thinking about creation. And they didn't have this gem or this gift. God was angry with them. Genesis says, God's going to use you. He's not angry with you. He wants you to be a part of things. This image of God doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. It never has and it never will. It is on you before you even took a breath outside of your mother's womb. It's on you when you are in your mother's womb. It doesn't go away because you made a wrong decision. No matter how bad you are, you still have the image of God on your heart. 
This is what it means. So if you have the image of God on you, you are capable of bringing his peace into the situation that you walk into. This is our calling, just like in number six. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. God put his name on your heart so that you will bless others with his peace. You become an agent of peace. We become agents of shalom. We look like our creator and there's nothing we can do to shake it. I look at my kids and I go, man, you look like me. I am so sorry. Especially Caleb. He looks like me. That, that kid, he's peaking early. It's all downhill from age two. <laughs> we look like our creator. You look like God. Because you have the ability to, in, to embody his peace and take it to the world that is desperately needing it. This is our role. This is our job. Genesis 2.15 says the Lord took them and put them into the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the idea of dominion. We are the very representation of God's peace and chaotic, into a chaotic and dark world. This is the vision for us. Now here's the deal. This peace is not something that you have to earn. You don't go out and try and have this peace. That doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? This peace is something that is freely given to you. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is say, thank you. And when you do that, then you realize that this peace is all enveloping. This is what you were created to have, peace. Just receive it. Jesus, give me your peace. In the times where I wake up completely anxiety-filled in the middle of the night, usually it's around 3 to 4 a.m., the only thing that gets me back to sleep is me saying, Jesus, please give me your peace. And then an act of receiving it, thank you for your peace. Jesus, I need your peace. Allow me to be a, a, a person of peace in the situation where I'm going into. Allow me to bring your peace into this situation. Jesus, give me your peace. Thank you for your peace. We all have chaotic lives and chaotic workplaces. Jesus, in this chaos, may I bring your peace. In this darkness and confusion, may I be a person that points to light in this. In the Zoom meeting, because I don't think very many people are in in-person meetings. In the Zoom meeting, when things get out of hand, may I be a person of peace. In the grocery stores, may I be a person of peace. In the classrooms, may I be a person of peace. Because this is what the world needs most. Peace. Not another empty leader. Peace. That can only come from Christ. This is what Paul says about this. He creates each one of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. This is Ephesians 2, verse 10. The good work that he's already gotten ready for us to do, work 
and the work we had big be, work we had better be doing. This is what we were created for, to participate and bring God's peace for the purpose of shalom to a world that is downright chaotic. Over these next few weeks, this is what we'll be studying, and I can't think of a better time to study it. How do we become agents of peace? Would you pray with me? God, may we receive your peace today. May we answer your call to participate in this peace. Jesus, you said in Matthew, freely that you've given. And so, Lord, freely we want to receive. May we receive your peace today. God, I can only imagine how these past months have worked at the heart of those in this room and those watching online either now or in a few days and the turmoil that we all feel. And if you're experiencing turmoil today, I ask you just to put your hands out like, like you're receiving something, a, a gift. And Lord, you see these hands that are open and they're going through some stuff. Lord, would you put in those hands your peace? Would you intervene in those hands in the brokenness and the darkness and the chaos that this person is feeling? Be it at work, at home, a friendship, a mental state. Lord, would you quiet the, the waters in their hearts? Would you, like that mother hen, calm things down? Would you bring wholeness and light? Lord, would you bring peace? Because you are the God Almighty and nothing can stand against you. We thank you for your peace. If your hands were out, just do this. Close it. Hold on to that peace. Thank you for your peace, Jesus. Now may we take that peace and embody it to the world around us that is broken and hurting and just as dark as our lives may be. May we show your peace and embody your peace. This is what we were created to do. And it's in your name we pray.